I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Tossed Popcorn is a production of iHeartRadio. Hi, I'm Sienna Jekyll. And I'm Liana Holston. And welcome to Tossed Popcorn, the podcast where two idiots watch every film on the AFI's 100 Greatest American Movies of All Time, the very slightly less racist, and it is slightly... (laughs) 10th anniversary edition. This podcast is a safe space, my boys, for anybody who doesn't know anything about movies. Today, we're watching The Searchers. Do you remember how I used to let you ride my horse and tell you stories? Number 12 on the AFI list. Warning, there will be spoilers about this very old film. You'll be fine. First of all, listeners. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. This is an historic day for tossed popcorn, because at this moment, (laughs) we're in the same place, the same room for the first time since we've been recording this entire podcast. In history, this is the first ever time two women have done a podcast in the same room together, and we are so honored to be breaking that ground and that glass ceiling. Can I also say something very early on? Yeah. If you like this show, can you please give it a five-star rating (laughs) on Apple Podcasts? Oh, yeah. Men hate us so much, and you will see that in the reviews. So if you like it, please rate us five stars and leave a nice little comment. Okay. Sienna, are you ready to talk about this fucking movie? Uh, A quick content warning that this movie has a lot of racist and dehumanizing treatment of indigenous communities and genocide. I... I hated it so much. I hated it so much! (laughs) 
I have almost never been this bored for this long. Oh my God, and it wasn't <laughs> even a long film. That's what's crazy. It was what, under two hours? I know! Unbelievable. I genuinely think this movie gave me a hangover. I felt so bad by the end of it, like physically. I, I gotta tell everybody, I tried really, really hard. I really tried to watch this movie and it just, it didn't work. <laughs> I watched the whole thing from beginning to end and it didn't work. I honestly, I'm not sure I could tell you a thing about it. <laughs> I was hoping you would leave this because oh. I'm completely... No, literally earlier today, I was like, God, I hope Sienna remembers more things about this movie. I'll do my best. We'll start with our predictions. Sienna, you've sent me two. Is there a reason for that? You'll understand after we listen to the first one. Okay. Hi, Liana. I am on the brink of watching The Searchers, another movie I have never, ever heard of. My guess is that it is about a little mouse detective <laughs> and that it is a noir. No. That makes perfect sense to me based on the name. Let's go find out. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. Do you know what movie you were thinking about? Uh, let's play prediction number two, <laughs> okay, shall we? Because I think I know. Uh, hi, Liana. So my roommate just informed me <laughs> that I'm probably thinking of The, the Rescuers. rescuers. <laughs> um, and that's why I'm doing the whole mouse detective thing in my mind. Uh, I still think it's a noir, though. So maybe no mouse. That's a disappointment. All right. Uh, adios. I wish this had been The Rescuers. Maybe that can go on our list. Okay, Liana, I'm excited for your prediction. What up, demons? It's me, ya boy. <laughs> Hi, it's Liana. I'm about Hi. to watch The Searchers, which I have only ever heard about because when I was in screenwriting class in college, I wrote a screenplay called The Searchers, and a guy was like, that's already a film. And I was like, what? <laughs> I don't know anything else about it. Hopefully, it's not the same storyline as mine. Uh, a bit of a murder mystery set during the plague in London <gasps> in 1665. Wait. There's no way. <laughs> okay, love you, bye. Why was my guess sort of a murder mystery set in London in 1666? Mouse, rat, plague. There we go. Exactly. Okay. First of all, that experience, being in a film class and having a guy tell you... <laughs> That's already a film. That already exists. <laughs> Very much why we have this podcast. Yeah. All right. You want to hear a summary? Mm -hmm. I just need everyone to know that like I tried hard. <laughs> this entire podcast is us trying. <laughs> the Searchers. John Wayne and pretty much all the men from his Wild West community <laughs> search for Natalie Wood for like 10 years. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Yeah, I've set down my notes. It's basically a Cowboys and Indians movie. Mm. And oh my God. Oh baby. Besties. This movie was so fucking racist. Possibly the most racist movie ever. <laughs> Having seen the ones on this list, that is a high bar to have attained. But it's possible they did it. I kept saying that out loud too the whole time I was watching. I'm sure you were as well. Just like, whoa. Yeah. 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 This is the first time that they've actually just straight up claimed in a movie that an entire race of people, mm -hmm. an entire marginalized group mm -hmm. in the United States mm -hmm. are villains. Guys, that's fucking, it's nuts. It's nuts. It's, again, a reminder at number 12 on the list. Also, 
unlike Gone with the Wind, this movie comes with no precursor that's like, hey, we know that this sucks. Are you ready for some historical context around this film? I am. I can't wait. Everybody, I need you to know that this movie is awful and never watch it. Okay. The Searchers, starring John Wayne, directed by a different white guy also named John, came out in 1956. It is set in Texas in 1868, which is already a big yikes. The Civil War, as we know, um, ended in 1865. The Confederacy lost, obviously. (laughs) But also, you know, it was slow to change. Things were slow to change, especially in Texas. Um, A lot of people still don't have rights in that state to this day, as we know. The Searchers itself is based off a novel by Alan LeMay. It's said to be based on the 1836 kidnapping of nine-year-old Cynthia Ann Parker. Oh, oh. (laughs) Wait, I've heard of that. Really? I'm an American studies major. Oh my God, I forgot about that. Yeah, it's like taught in Texas public school curriculum. It's like a whole story. Oh, God. Fucking damn it. No, 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 yeah. And this became like its own myth over the years about Cynthia Ann. The story of her is not far off from the plot of the film where... She was abducted by tribesmen from the Comanche. The story of Cynthia Ann is that she was found 24 years later by the relatives who were looking for her. Mm. It was a similar idea of she didn't want to leave the tribe because she had a life and even children there. And she, one of her three children went on to become the, the next and the last leader of the Comanche before they were essentially oh, wow. eviscerated by white people as a population. The other thing about the searchers is the concept of the captivity narrative, which is the idea of like white children, especially young white girls getting abducted. And this has been a narrative for centuries. Three of the four bestsellers in Texas in 1836 were captivity narratives. They were sold in, you know, dime novels of the 19th century, which were these really cheap books with simple formulaic plots that were initially about indigenous peoples. And then when the indigenous peoples in America were forced under reservations, the narratives of dime novels changed to cowboys in the Wild West and then eventually the Western as we know it today, which is what this film is, which features, you know, outlaws, bandits, train robberies, a thousand horses, as per always. Um, The most yet. (laughs) Somehow. Arguably, yeah. It's only increasing. There was... uh, period of time known as the Texas Comanche Wars from 1836 to 1875, 75, oh my God, where the Texas Rangers, who I will talk about in a moment, embarked on essentially an ethnic cleansing upon the 1836 formation of the Republic of Texas. This is a continuous thing we see to this day, especially with the the, the ongoing missing and murdered indigenous women tragedy. And the Texas Rangers themselves, you can still apply to be one right now. They have a website. They're up and running. Some people have called them like the best known sheriff's department or or law enforcement department in America. From their website, the Texas Rangers conduct major violent crime, public corruption, cold case and officer involved shooting investigations. Just a note, officer involved shooting means an officer shot a person, but they love to use the passive voice about that. And oversee the department's border security and tactical and crisis negotiation programs. That is the current definition of the currently operating Texas Rangers. They were established in the 1830s, and unsurprisingly, their history is not cute, to put it incredibly mildly. They originated as a group that was designed and designed and designated to recapture enslaved 
black Texans who had escaped from slavery. They also would raid Mexican communities at the border, and they would violently suppress indigenous peoples such as the Comanche. They are glorified in media throughout history through popular mythology that paints them as heroes in a lawless frontier. Which brings us now to the frontier justice segment, talking about how people would take the criminal justice system into their own hands. This is seen through vigilantes and worse, all the way through to the KKK and public lynchings, that sort of thing. Um, And then there's also the myth of American exceptionalism, which we see in this film and throughout Westerns in particular, which goes hand in hand with rugged individualism and the idiocy of Americans thinking we're all special. Nothing unique there. Still seeing it right now. Get your vaccines, you assholes. (laughs) Finally, the Western itself as a genre was first... um, American studies, baby. Here we go. Oh, I bet you know more about this. This will be fun. Um, The first sort of film version of it was in 1903 with something called The Great Train Robbery, which was a short film. And then Stagecoach, the 1939 John Wayne film, was really what cemented it as this new genre. It ushered in a new era of Westerns and was a huge commercial success. Then its golden age was in the 1950s when this film, The Searchers, came out. And I just want to end my historical context segment with a quote from a writer named Nick Yeager from the Texas Observer, and they wrote a very compelling piece about the searchers specifically and putting it in its actual historical context. And the quote is, the very premise of the settling of the West is genocide. Oh my Jesus Christ, guys, this movie, it sucked so much. Oh, of course, also a white guy was in brownface. Oh my, of course, yeah. Playing the, the lead villain. Thank you for that historical context. You're welcome. Yeah, I mean, it sucks, y'all. <laughs> the Western, as a concept, as an art form, is so wrong in so many ways. Uh, one thing that must be noted is cowboys did not exist. Mm. I don't know if you know. I mean, cowboys exist in terms of, like, yes, they, they do exist as they're like ranch hands. Okay, here we go, American studies. <laughs> cowboys, imagine what a cowboy is. Yes, spurs, they, hat, they, chaps. Yeah. The important part is cows. They still exist now. They exist all over. They did exist then, but they managed cows on ranches. A lot of them were Mexican. A lot of them were black. And they weren't going out and shooting people. (laughs) Let's move on to phone notes, shall we? (laughs) Yes. Uh, I just saw the cover art of John Wayne in a hat. And I said, okay, already I can tell there are going to be horses. And that prediction was good. Yeah, that was sort of my last moment of light (laughs) on this film journey. Did you think that maybe a cowboy movie would be good? Well, actually, you know what? At the very, very start, I thought it was maybe going to be a heist film, like a train robbery heist where they went and just robbed a train. Oh, that would be cool. And I thought that could have been fun because, you know, train robberies were part of Westerns. So I thought, oh, hey, maybe. My first two notes are all caps. Because remember, I thought it was going to be about a mouse. (laughs) It's a cowboy movie? Next line. This is going to be so boring. <laughs> and then you start with the opening credits, which roll over a graphic of bricks. And I wrote, Oh, yeah. Staring at a brick wall for three minutes is an eerie foreshadowing for what the rest of my experience is going to be like. <laughs> That's so funny. I remember thinking about the brick wall, that it's kind of what my designs look like for our social media posts <laughs> before you come in and like add fun elements to them. So we start in some Wild West house. I'm sorry, this is a tangent, but have you ever been on a homestead field trip? No. Okay. 
I am from the West, <laughs> Colorado. I grew up in a town called Evergreen, which is in the foothills of the Rockies. And we, oh, all the time, we're going on homestead field trips to go see the homesteads that I'm just actually now, right now, realizing we just went to go see houses that white colonizers lived in. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> really bad. <laughs> Homesteading is really bad. Oh, my God. At the time, I was like, oh, my God, a butter churn. That's so fun. And now I'm like, oh, my God, imperialism. <laughs> hey, we got to go take an ad break. But don't worry. We won't take 10 years to do it. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels. A story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. So we're at this house, and John Wayne rolls in 
pretty quickly. Mm. Uncle Ethan is his name. Ugh, yeah. One of the first things that we get that is maybe some light in the movie is mm. that a really cute guy is there. Which one? What? Martin? Martin. The guy? The guy. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I was worried you were going to cite the like 40-year-old Nazi boyfriend. No. No. Okay. Oh my god, no. Terrific. This guy is so hot. He's so hot. He's so hot. He is so, so, so hot that it is the one thing in the movie where it, it's the only thing that kept me going. Yeah. And I'm not even that horny. He's sure. Oh, well, okay. She pointed to me <laughs> when she said that. <laughs> Thank goodness he was there. He's cute. He's shirtless for much of the film. He's visibly tall. Like you can just tell. Right. And the first thing John Wayne says to him is, I mistook you for a half breed. Okay. So it, it does start with immediate racism. That is and correct. And that's like, that happens the whole time. Yeah. Stuff's like that. And you're like, wait, is this like satire? Unclear. If it is in any way, they are not concerned no. with sending any messages. He like micro, that. he micro to macro aggresses Martin for the entirety of the film. Right. Because okay. Martin is one eighth Cherokee. But yes, we meet the family. It's like a mom, a dad, and two daughters and a brother. Yeah. And they're and all like, Uncle Ethan's back from the war. And right. I very quickly was like, which side was he on? And very quickly he was like, I love the Confederacy. And I was like, oh, no. I also wrote down pretty immediately, is John Wayne okay? Why? Because of his weird ass voice? And his face. He looked so tired the whole movie. Yeah. He can't be. Mm-mm. I mean, I would have to assume no. In general, also... The acting in this movie was total crap. Bad. Very bad. The woman, the girl who goes... <laughs> she sort of winds up. <laughs> A girl screams and it is the worst acting I've ever seen. It's so bad. You guys may have noticed that so far when these movies suck, we'll be like, ugh, it, it sucks because the acting was pretty good. And it was problematic. Yeah. No, this one, problematic. Calling people half-breeds. Calling native people villains. And the acting sucked. There was no redeeming part to it. No, it was so boring. It was so boring. The Texas landscape, I was like, I feel dehydrated. <gasps> I felt uncomfortable the whole time. Thank you. Also, yeah. every man in this film was so crispy. <gasps> yes. And I don't know if that was because it was filmed in Technicolor <laughs> That's because they put a bunch of white boys in the desert again and were like, time to romp. Can we please talk about the brigade of douches that roll into the house? Oh, including the pastor yeah. slash sheriff? Yes. A bunch of assholes in high hats roll in. <laughs> okay, so he meets the children and the family and then the next day the douches arrive and they're like, we gotta go because a bunch of cows disappeared. Also in that scene, a bunch of women scurrying around handing out little donuts and coffee. Yeah, what were those? Like crullers? They did look delicious. Yeah. Teeny little donut. The women in this movie are so useless. Yes. The mom, I was like, oh my God, she is stressed the whole time. And then I realized why. <laughs> and I was like, oh. <laughs> the redheaded girl, I, of course, was sort of keeping tabs on to see where she ended up. But I always just, when I see a redhead who has freckles, I'm like, what's she up to? And what did happen to her? She did the worst acting I've ever seen. And then we didn't see her for the rest of the film. Liana. She passed a girl through a window. Liana. Got murdered. Oh my god. She died. <laughs> we didn't see her because she died. No, but this is the thing. Okay, I'm jumping right to this because this was ridiculous. Yeah. This was so much like Take a it. man writing a movie to star another man and do man acting in front of a bunch of other men on fucking screen. The older daughter, Liesel, or whatever her name is. I know it's not that. 
<laughs> but she had a lethal energy. <laughs> I don't know what it was, so that sounds right. Go ahead. It's like, you know. Oh, anyway, lethal the older daughter and the younger daughter, Debbie, both get abducted by the white man in brown face. And then we see the Uncle Ethan and hot, hot Martin go looking for them with the mm. 40-year-old Nazi boyfriend who was dating Liesl. That's why I think of her as Liesl. And uh, suddenly, John Wayne goes off on a little, like, manifest destiny adventure and comes back and is visibly grumpier in front of the other two men. And they're like, uh-huh. what's going on? And he doesn't really immediately reveal it. And then, like, an hour later when they're having dinner, he's like, oh, my God, I found the older daughter in a canyon. <laughs> and she was, like, very dead, so I did bury her. And that is so much plot to not show on screen. <laughs> it's like he was too stoic to say it. Yeah. What the hell was that? Her whole storyline got wiped out and we didn't even see her die. An off-screen death. Mm-hmm. You're so right. Also, the guys he was telling that to, one of them was her boyfriend. Yes. He was like, hey, I think I see my girlfriend out there. And John Wayne is like, you didn't see your girlfriend. And he's like, no, I think I did. And he's like, no, you didn't. She's dead. I buried her. And we're like, wait, so John Wayne, why did you even, why'd you make this guy go on this quest with you? It was ridiculous. I was like, what, what was your, when were you going to reveal this, my boy? And then the 40-year-old Nazi boyfriend leaps onto a horse and goes and gets himself shot, also off screen. Right. To like revenge. Oh, Oh, he didn't did know. get shot there. No, I just remember I remember him running off and then hearing shots. And I guess we didn't see him again. It was hard to tell because in this posse of searchers, mm-hmm. there were like I don't, 10 to 14. I was thinking how there were so many just dudes that looked exactly the same on horses together in a group. Anybody could have just joined <laughs> and they wouldn't have even noticed. Oh, my God. And they might have. That's how it felt. It's like that Bill Hader line from SNL. I roll with a problematic group of bachelors, and we call ourselves the squad. (laughs) And this was that. That's exactly what they were. A problematic group of bachelors. Yeah. That's a great way of looking at the cowboy trope in general. Yeah, kind of American film. (laughs) Was the dog's name Chris? What dog? What dog? Are you kidding me? This is most of what I was watching for the beginning of the film. The film like opens with the dog. And I was like, careful. Because for me. Oh, I do remember. I do remember the dog popping out. Thank you. I was like, are they going to kill that dog? Exactly. I had the same. I was like, if they kill the dog, we actually legally are allowed to not watch the rest of this film. And I would have texted you and been like, (laughs) great news. Short episode this week. But there's a very cute dog who I think is named Chris. Because people keep throughout the homestead scene early in the film saying like, Chris. That's hilarious. That's an insane name for a dog. Where's Chris? <laughs> Is Chris hungry? Hey, Chris just shit on my lawn. I think I hate John Wayne, like personally, because uh-huh. of this film and the way that he acts. Because when they go out to see the dead cows, he then is like, oh, this was a plan of theirs to lure all the men out so they could attack the home. But uh-huh. he reveals that in the blandest way and the most tired sounding voice. And I was like, if you knew that, why did you go? out with your boys it makes no sense there's no logic he had no emotional range that was my big problem with him he was either like tired or racist and those were his two acting modes i'm tired that'll be the day but the thing also with this movie is like the stunts in it aren't even that i know it's not a good action movie even it's not good anything none of it is good I was watching this with my roommate, and at one point she said something that made me laugh so much, which was, 
There are no characters. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Our friend Martin, the hot guy, <sighs> he goes and he sees his ex-girlfriend lady. Lori. Lori. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about this scene because this is just sort of a, right in the middle of everything, an aggressively horny woman in the middle of a canyon <laughs> saying and doing a lot of things. Okay. I just want to say, I get it. I I thought of you a lot. <laughs> and that's why I brought this up, actually. Um, first of all, I, I, I described Lori as, this isn't, okay, wait, this isn't why I thought of you. Um, Lori is a hysteric, horny, hottie nag. Thank you. <laughs> right when she comes out, she puts her hands on her hips and she's like, Martin, now, now Martin, last name, where have you been? Or yes. something like that. Mm-hmm. She's um, so horny. I feel for her so hard. Let's talk about this scene where she tries to get a look at his penis. All right. Martin's in the bathtub, which I thought you would relate to. Yeah. As a woman who behaves. Thinking, I, it looked like a nice little bath. It's very uh, compact. I would like to, to scrub it up dub in that tub a dub dub. I saw it in your eyes. I was like, oh, she's going to. Yep. There it is. She did it. <gasps> Martin's in a tub and he is shirtless. And <laughs> Lori comes in holding his, what, what like his long johns? <laughs> And he's like, don't look at me. And she's like, don't worry, I see my brother's penises all the time. (laughs) To which I was like, what? (laughs) But she really tries to sneak a look. And then, oh, she tricks him. She does a little prank. Do you remember this? Yeah. She like (laughs) walks loudly out of the room. She's like, okay, I'm leaving. (laughs) (laughs) Pretends to leave. And then Martin starts singing. He's like, I've got a lady and she's a girl. (laughs) And then Lori turns around. And throws water on him? Yeah, a bucket of water was but sitting there. Not until she's like taken a gander. <laughs> and then the next morning they're so horned up for each other and they do that is a good kiss in front yeah, of the That's the kiss the I was thinking of. And then she shoves him so hard that she breaks the bench. Yeah. That is just how horny she is. Like it has transferred to anger and strength. But she does wear jeans at one yeah. point. Did you see that? Oh my gosh, yeah. She, she rocks a pair of she's jeans. She's like I think she was probably like a real, like really hot. Like she is really hot, but I feel like people might have gone to this movie and been like, whoa. Yeah. What a lady. Very hysterical, just like every other woman. Useless. But I will say, justifiably hysterical because of this letter. Oh my God. Martin. Okay. Also, this movie, somehow five years pass and they barely tell you. There's like two lines in there that's like, one's like, oh my God, it's been a year. And then the other one's like, oh, it's five years later. And we're like, pardon? The passage of time is insane ridiculous it snows constantly there's like 80 buffalo and then you're meant to believe it's like 1873 anyway martin hot idiot martin writes Lori one letter in the span of five years and this letter is the worst letter arguably in history this letter is such a roller coaster (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of like the second half of the movie i literally can't believe it i and again i think this is where i relate to Lori because i have gotten letters like this where it's like I, you are such an incredible woman. <laughs> you are my best friend, my light, my love. You inspire me every day. And I'm like, oh my God, thank you. And they're like, I'm off to see my wife. <laughs> I have been friends with you since you have received several of those letters. <laughs> Guys, it's true. All of this, it happens. It's insane. But in this letter, he reveals, and this is another deeply problematic, shitty portion of the film, that he marries a Comanche woman. And it's the grossest way you can have a marriage which is that he buys her 
Um, in his defense, no, um, <laughs> it was an accident. <laughs> there was so much racism in this segment, guys, and it was meant to be in its time period like the comedic segment of the film, I assume. Oh, yeah. Because John Wayne is like laughing at hapless Martin for accidentally yeah, so purchasing a woman to be his spouse. And so she has to join them on their journey. Yeah, that's the thing is I, I thought that was going to be like a one moment thing of like, oh, yeah, actually bought a wife, which is like, OK, all right, let's move on. But no, she comes with them. Yep. She comes with them. He kicks her down a hill when she that tries to was, go sleep next to him. I, that like, that was too much. That was awful. That was really awful. Like I'm, to see I'm, a man kick a woman oh my god and the worst part of it too is that you just know that people in the past were laughing at it and then she dies later in the film then they they make her the comedic this comedic moment she's a punchline for most of the film and then they actually tragedy her Mm -hmm. it's insane it's absolutely insane oh all right i'm gonna say it say it martin was horny for debbie which one's debbie The girl that they're looking oh, for. Oh, his, yeah, his sister? His sister, quote unquote. I, I had mean, to look it up to make sure that that was their relationship. Uh-huh. I want to hearken back to Sienna's segment from our Godfather episode called Red Flags. My, this one's short. It's just this. Lori, specifically, in your hot denim jeans, if your alleged boyfriend from the age of two keeps leaving you to continue looking for his not-sister and finds her while he's shirtless and they do a tender embrace... That's a red flag. There was something going on there. Oh, and when he finds her for the first time, he finds her and he's like, remember, I used to let you ride my horse. I, it was so <laughs> sexual. Um, speaking of horses, I have a little segment Please, for us today. You. So we've talked about horses a lot. Uh, this one somehow may take the cake for the most horses altogether. Might beat Lawrence of Arabia. This one does, it's top in the charts right now for horses traversing the most terrain in one movie. <laughs> Different types of terrain. So I'm yeah. just going to go through and give you a few. <laughs> They're on dirt most of the time. So first of all, beginning of the movie, dirt. Yeah. Okay. Minute 29, marshland slash swamp water. Minute 32, oh. deep water. A river, one could say? A river. <laughs> they kept walking into that river for so long, though, without getting any deeper in. I mean, it's Texas. They don't have a lot of water. Oh. I don't understand other Oh, places. yeah, Sienna's from Seattle. It's very water forward. It's only water. She keeps being on boats. Minute 34, mud. <laughs> Minute 43, snow. <laughs> An hour and 10 minutes in, glacial waters. Uh-huh. An hour and 11 minutes in, extremely deep snow up to the shoulders <laughs> so yes. of the horses. Yes, that's right. I remember that. An hour and 12 minutes in, they were extremely near fire. Also, these timestamps are close together. That's, you, you gotta listen and hear just how much horse is in this movie. Yeah, they really made the horses go through a lot at, the, at that moment. Uh, an hour and 18 minutes in, this, I guess, it kind of counts as a terrain. Uh, a horse is wearing a sombrero. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so sad I missed that. You missed the horse in the sombrero? I can't believe I did. It's, there are like three things in this movie that are like, huh. And that's got to be one of them. Yeah. And then an hour and 32 minutes in, deep sand. Other than that, just uh, the dirt. That's a lot of terrain. I loved that segment. Thank you for that. You're welcome. It really paints a picture. Did you see it was a blink and you'll miss it moment when a horse took a bath? No. Yes. I'm so happy I can tell you about this. 
I couldn't tell you where in the film that happened or what was going on because, again, the landscape was the desert. But a horse submerges itself in a river and does the cutest little roll around <laughs> in the water. And then we go back to, like, white male violence. But a little horse bath. It was my uh, moment. Did you? This is another John Wayne saying a plot line that never you see on screen where he's like, do you remember in the teepee when they showed us the hair from like theoretically women who had been scalped? The scalps? Yeah. And then he was like, one of those was your mom? <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? Here's why I didn't get that is because John Wayne was so racist at this man earlier that he was like, you're not part of this family. Yeah. So I thought he was saying it was a separate mother who we'd never been introduced right. to. When I when I looked up to make sure that the siblings were siblings, because it seems like they were boning. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I discovered, and I don't know when they said this in the movie, that he was adopted by them because his family was killed in a raid. Right. But so then isn't it possible that it was that mom? Oh, shit. But then why would John Wayne know that if he was off in the Civil War? But it's exactly what you're saying. It yeah. seems like... I think you're right. Oh, my God. John Wayne loves to just hold on to secrets and drop them. He is the gossip girl of <laughs> the Wild West. <laughs> XOXO. That'll be the day. XOXO. Pilgrim. <laughs> Feeling like a hot idiot? Cool off while we read you some ads. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. She's breathing. Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top 
of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Um, And I have to reveal something now, which is that I fell asleep. (gasps) Oh! This is the first movie during which one of us has fallen asleep, I think. Wow, really an historic film. An historic film. Where did you fall asleep? Around the wedding or something. Like once it got to the end and... Mm -hmm. No, you know what? It was when the Confederate soldier came in. I thought he was a Union soldier. Oh my God, I don't even remember. Wait, he was a Union soldier because the Union was in Texas at that point. Oh, when the Union soldier came in. What color was he wearing? was hot. (laughs) <laughs> no, wait, literally, literally a soldier came in, it turned to clear war, and I just fell asleep immediately. Oh, yeah. That's really funny. <laughs> and that's when I was like, hello. Hello. <laughs> Did you at least see the fight at the wedding, the I, dustiest scene in the film? I ended up going to bed and waking up the next day and powering oh, through. My God. During the fight scene where Martin is fighting the old, old man. I hope I know what you're going to say. <laughs> Go on. Do you want to try to say it at the same time? One, two, three. He kicks him in the face. (laughs) He has to hand someone a fiddle. We gotta stop doing this. It never works. I didn't even know what moment you were talking about. Why were you so confident? He hands someone a fiddle. This is a moment of actual humor in the film where the old, old man. So this is at the wedding. He goes to the wedding. Lori has decided to marry an old man who sings her a song. And she's like, okay. And then Martin shows up and Lori's like, what the fuck? Martin and the man are fighting over Lori. And then the old man pauses the fight and he's like, wait. And he's holding a fiddle and he goes, this is someone's fiddle. <laughs> That's funny. That was funny. That was my third moment of like, oh. See, they, they could have had more. They could have done anything better. I, I did write at one point, um, I think they meant not to make this. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Like... <laughs> I watched this movie kind of one and a half times because I went I went back the next day and like had to watch it with fresh eyes and it's just like there's no way that this is something they wanted. <laughs> this was not an on purpose. This film. is boring and long and and the fact that it's on the list also like number twelve. I'm like who? D- this is an accident. This yeah. shouldn't be here. This shouldn't exist. Sienna, should we move on to badges and trages? Let's do it. This is the segment in which we award badges to things we think this film did well. <laughs> Who knows what those will be? And trages to the rest of it. Things that we would think were terrible and deserve a tragic bad badge. Any badges from you, Sienna? I'm just going to hold up my list to you because I'm worried. On her gorgeous cardstock. Holy shit, these are a chunk of text. Yeah, I guess I wrote a lot of badges down. I'm just going to read them all. <clears throat> a man saying, thank you, in the way that we do. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> the most unconvincing corpses in all of cinema. Oh. Did you notice them breathing? Oh. <gasps> 
No. Dude, literally every corpse in this movie was breathing. <laughs> no one could act in this film. It was so bad. I think they did one take for everything. They're like, that's the one. All right. We got it. The very first one, it was so funny because they like, they rip aside like a rock or yes, something. They rip a rock. That rock was yeah. lightweight. And there's a Comanche man buried there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he's just a breathing, fully alive man <laughs> so under a rock. And so at first you're like, wait, what? <laughs> this guy's about to talk to them and they're oh, like I do. and then they're like he's dead no i do remember being like is this a sleeping man did they just reveal like a patrick star sort of under a rock <laughs> exactly. lifestyle anyway. but i do have to say and i know this is a downer but we have to reiterate again how racist this movie is is that john wayne's character then ostensibly shoots out the eyes of this corpse to prevent this indigenous <sighs> man from being able to enter the afterlife of his culture not only is it racist and horrible but also the way that they hold up this stupid ass bullshit white dude. Mm. That's a perfect example of just how he is in this whole film, how he's treated, which is like that he's awesome. Yeah. Because he shoots him from far away with this stupid ass 1860s gun. And there's no way you were that good at aiming. There's no way he got his eyes. <laughs> a very good angry scoot 51 minutes in. This is shortly after Lori tries to see Martin's peen and <laughs> he's wrapped up in like a blanket and going to bed and uh -huh. he's mad at Bruce, Bruce Wayne. <laughs> Batman is in this movie? A vigilante who sucks? Yeah, honestly. Oh my gosh. Problematic Bachelor. Um, he's mad at John Wayne, so he angrily scoots on his bed. And yeah. I actually would like a gif of it because it's, it's funny. <laughs> Badge for a sleep decoy. Somebody yes. stacking up their bed so that it looks like they're sleeping there. Badge for a really good kick in the face. That's what I tried to say at the same time as you. <laughs> Martin kicks a guy square in the face. It's good form. Oh, and uh, final badge, Mexican representation. Yeah, girl. There were actually uh, several Mexican characters. Um, I got to give a badge for very, very early in the film when Ethan has just returned from the Civil War. And he says to young Debbie, he says, Debbie, you've been baptized yet? And Debbie says, not yet, no. And that is because when I was baptized, I don't know if I've told you this before. No. How have you not told me your baptism story? I don't know. <laughs> When I was baptized, I was like two years old. I don't know. I guess it's just late for a baptism. That is late, yeah. So I could talk is the point. And apparently the the man, the the guy, the wizard, the guy in charge and in robes put the water on my forehead. And apparently, I am told, I announced to the congregation, I don't like that. <laughs> so I loved Debbie's moment of, no, I have not been baptized, sir. Mm. And then I have one that I think can segue us into trages because it is a combined badge trage, mm. which is a badge slash trage for a hot idiot. Because Martin was so hot, oh. which really was a driving factor of me getting through this film. But he was such an idiot, yeah. which made me angry at the concept of men again, because he's one of those guys who's like, what? I, but I wrote you one letter in five years. Like, what do you mean you didn't wait for me? Also, he spelled her name wrong in the letter. I know. He spelled it with an I, not a Y. They're like, shut up. <laughs> shut up. Be grateful. <laughs> shut up, Lori. He's talking to you. <laughs> He's the one man within five canyons. Uh. Trage one. Crazy racist. Crazy racist. Trage two. Crazy boring. <laughs> Another trage for two bartender characters in one movie. When you have two bartender characters, your movie is too long. That's right. There should just be one. And they progress the plot and they get out of there. Yeah. Uh, a large group of white dudes in similar outfits. Never good. Yeah. Uh, white guys in brown face? Mm. Ooh, trage for a man playing guitar at you. Yes, at you. Which is how the, as you said, old man mm -hmm. wooed, proposed to Lori. I think he just tired her out. 
Uh, fine. Okay. Finally, how can I phrase this? There's a moment where John Wayne says that they ask like, oh, what's going to happen to Debbie now that she's been taken away by this tribe? And he's like, oh, well, they'll wait till she's of age and then dot, dot, dot. The implication being they're just going to wait until they can have sex with her. Um, you're going to do that too. <laughs> when you get her back, that's what you're going to do with her too. You think John Wayne was going to bone Debbie? No, I think that's what society oh, does. Society <laughs> I just think bones it's like women. Your community is also going to do that. I got a traj for a horse named Sweet Face. It's a stupid name for a horse. It's really stupid. Their faces are long. I've never seen a horse with a sweet face. A traj for violence against women. Mm -hmm. A traj for violence against buffalo. Mm -hmm. And then also a traj for somehow when they got to Debbie after five years of pursuing her through the desert and they're so like distraught over her and like theoretically she's been through so much according to them. Her makeup is perfect. What the fuck is that about? Also, She's this was what, like two years before she did Brownface and West Side Story? Oh my gosh. I, I wrote at the very end that like when they brought her home, the, the, the moral of the story is like, we brought her home and she's a virgin. Oh. That was the feeling of like, yay, we Thank saved God. her while she's still a virgin. And has and value. we can fuck her. Oh my God. <laughs> yep. Yep. Great. Speaking of now we can fuck her, it's time for a segment called How to Pretend You've Seen mm. This Film. This is for, you are at a twister party. Where everyone does twister. Oh, wow. Okay. Sounds incredibly fun, actually. And Craig wiggles up to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Getting off of the red circle over the, you know. And he says, oh my gosh. Last night I watched the best movie. Mm-hmm. It's called The Searchers. Have you ever seen it? I'd love to get your take. Yeah. And in order to uh, blue... Blue circle. I don't remember how to play Twister. Yeah, it's really becoming clear. <laughs> In order to twist away from this man. Nice. Good. We're going to give you a few things that you can say. To pretend that you've seen the film The Searchers. Craig, um, I don't know if you know this, but I actually have a final draft subscription, and I've written the first act of a feature film. It's called The Searchers. Um, it's set during London in 1665, which famously was the Great Plague of London. And when we're speaking of plagues, I really feel a parallel between these two films. Is that white men really are a plague. John Wayne's racism in that film actually represents something pretty interesting. Um, If you look closely all the times, he says something deeply racist about indigenous people. It's just racist and nothing else. (laughs) Oh, Craig. You want to go out with me? (laughs) That'll be the day. (laughs) All right. Next is another useful little segment for you called Should You Watch This or? In which we tell you if you should watch this film or if you should do For the Love of Christ anything else with your time. Here, all I have is in all caps, no, period, don't, period. (laughs) And all I have is God, no. And that has been, should you watch this or? <laughs> no, we need to give them something else. Okay, because if for some reason you're like, ah, oh, the searchers, I've heard of that. Should I should I watch that thing? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a historic whatever. Okay, as an American studies major, I can tell you this is total freaking oh, bullshit. You know bad. what you should watch instead? Rutherford Falls. <gasps> it's a very funny show. And the conflict is between two mature groups just disagreeing on things in the world and not shooting each other. And I understand why things are happening. And it's cute and hilarious. Yeah, that's a very, very great example. It's streaming on Peacock.
it's written and created by native people. So it's telling stories from their perspective, exactly. from their actual perspective. I would say instead of watching The Searchers, you should read about The Searchers who were the women in <gasps> London who, due to their class, were not able to evacuate the city when the plague struck. So they stayed behind and were called the searchers because it was their job to go from home to home searching for people who were showing signs of the plague. <gasps> All right, Sienna, how would you rate this movie? Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it a clean zero horses in water out of five. Oh, my God. I'm giving it zero horses in <gasps> snow. <laughs> Great. Zero horses in choose your climate. <laughs> I would never watch this again. I would never want to watch it. I, immediately, I will fall asleep. Fuck's sake, everybody. Don't watch this movie. Take it off this goddamn list, American Film Institute. What are you doing? Piece of crap. Wow, wow, wee, wow. Wow, wow, wee, wow. This has been Tossed Popcorn. Thank you so much for listening. Um, if you have thoughts and they're nice <laughs> or interesting, which... Think about that before you send them. Uh, we are on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, at Tossed Popcorn. Please feel free to follow us and see some sweet, sweet content. We post gorgeous memes every Saturday. Look forward to those. So, as any of our followers on the socials may know, we did a little poll to find out which classic Halloween movie you wanted us to watch. That's right. And you... Like the good Americans you are. Actually, we have some international listeners as well. But you all did your civic duty and you voted. So next week, we'll be watching the spooky, spooky film most of you voted for. Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> all right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Again, please rate us five stars if you enjoyed this it's podcast. It's really helpful, please. Like, seriously, women's rights. <laughs> Thank you. We love you. Bye. Bye. You can find us on Instagram as at Sienna Jekyll and at Liana Holston. Please check the description for the spelling of our dumb names. We put out episodes every Tuesday, so make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. See you next week on Tossed Popcorn. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check the iHeartRadio app. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought... In that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.